Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. For today's episode, we want to start with a quick trigger warning. We are going to be discussing sexual assaults, abuse, rape, and grooming because what we're talking about is sort of an update on what's going on in the world of Me Too and how how much this continued conversation of sexual harassment an uneven power dynamic used to gain control is still ongoing and important and something we shouldn't forget about. And we're seeing it in so many different industries take place. So we're going to be talking about some of that today. And also, a lot of this is happening very quickly. So just put a timestamp on this one. We are recording on June 30th. And I think I was seeing updates like right before we came in. So right. just just to put that out there. Right. As um, you and I are doing this, I know I'm in the last minute adding, oh, we need to talk about this and this and this. And we're definitely not going to cover the entirety of everything that's happening. Because um, I guess we could include that we're going to talk a little bit, not necessarily about cancel culture, but holding people accountable and how social media is helping us to do that. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, and for the last several days, we've been seeing uh, a lot of different young women coming out and talking about being DM'd, again, social media, by celebrities or being contacted through social media by different celebrities. Specifically, comedian Chris D'Elia and actor Ansel Elgort. Uh, the conversation has shown a disturbing pattern of men using their fame as a way to meet up with young fans and eliciting sex or at least sex. S-E-X-T's, I can't yep. say the T very well. Um, for both men, the abuse of power has been a point of conversation on the bigger, again, disturbing picture of grooming young women. And when I say young women, they range from 14 to 18. Uh, and honestly, this could be a whole other conversation of what do we consider an adult and who do we hold accountable for what during what age. But according to her Twitter post, Simone Rossi alleged at the age of 16, Chris, who, uh, by the way, has portrayed a pedophile and sex predator in two different TV series, just to put that mm -hmm. out there, um, exchanged emails, eventually leading uh, for Delia to request a meetup, which apparently did not occur for her. But since that post, several women have come forward stating that similar interactions with him, uh, including requests for nude photos from underage girls. Uh, he has been terminated from the majority of his gigs and even denounced by a female comedian, Whitney Cummings, who also has a podcast, um, and she's often often had him on her show as a regular. Um, and by the way, this has led to many criticizing her because they're saying she was too quick to judge and not willing to listen to both sides of the story. She tweeted at one point essentially saying, thanks to all the male comedians who called last night or texted for in support. And that was in sarcasm, I believe. Um, <laughs> so another young woman alleged that Ansel Elgort DM'd her when she was 17, actually when she was 16, um, and he was 20 at the time. According to the allegations, he not only solicited news from her, but also eventually met up with her in person and had a sexual encounter the day she turned 17, uh, which according to her was her first 
sexual encounter um, and sexual experience. And after denying the specifics of the encounter, uh, Elgort claimed he didn't know how the young girl felt, so he wasn't going to put into her words how she felt, but it was a relationship and that the breakup was upsetting and that he should have not ignored her. Apparently, when they broke up, he just ghosted her. From what I gather, mm. that's what he's saying. And now is seeing the results of that. So essentially gaslighting, saying that she's got hurt feelings and accused them of something unseemly, I guess. Um, and by the way, Dahlia also denied the incident, stating the conversations were all out of context and denied any wrongdoing. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. In both of these situations, both of the victims said that they did receive a lot of harassment but also received many messages of not only support, but similar stories and incidents from people who had experienced these same kind of things, which has been a part of the Me Too movement, an online community that is able to share their experiences and just know that they aren't alone. But with this situation, it again shows the continued abuse of power and fame in order to solicit sex or sexual favors. And again, again, it is still hotly debated and the continued sexualization of young women seems to be a point of conflict as to whether it is the adult or the youth's fault, which is where a lot of the problem lies. So it has continued to be a point of contention as to who is in control when it comes to the sexualization of young women. Between the R. Kelly cases and the debate of Drake continuing to text young women um, and the stories of different celebrities slipping into young fans' DMs, which we've seen and continue to see. So if we look at the YouTube star Shane Dawson, um, he was recently called out for not only those sickening videos of talking to a 14-year-old about her body, sex, and menstruation, but also performing a sexual act to a cutout of a young actress, Willow Smith. And he, like many others, released an apology video without having the conversation of the underlying issue of damage to young women that this type of action produces. We discussed um, last year, which was 2019. <laughs> um, oh, feels so forever ago <laughs> um, about grooming and what exactly grooming is. But just as a reminder, grooming is defined here as, quote, a method used by offenders that involves building trust with the child and the adults around a child in an effort to gain access to and time alone with him or her. In extreme cases, offenders may use threats and physical force to sexually assault or abuse a child. In the case of Elgort, the victim specifies that he uses a manipulative tactic of stating if she told anyone, she would ruin his career and possibly his life. Uh, tactics like this, or gaslighting, have been used for years. Um, the fear-mongering and manipulation of power, or in this case, their fame. And because of the gaslighting, we still see the constant victim blaming, um, as well as the fact victims blame themselves, which causes them to remain silent and not seek justice, or even worse, treatment for these really harmful encounters. And I would add, the mere grooming can be traumatic in itself. Even if an encounter or a violent sexual act doesn't happen, this causes a trauma beyond just your everyday, hey, how are you? So grooming in itself, we've already talked about, is a classification of harm and as a type of trauma. Yeah, and I think that's a good point to make because I've seen so many kind of people say, well, just <laughs> that's just the way it is. That's just part of it, as if that's not harmful. I've seen so many people act as if that 
it's just the way things are. That's almost the boys will be boys mentality. And of course, get over it, essentially. Right. And this whole fame culture with it and celebrity culture also teaches girls oftentimes and young boys that they should be honored, that they have been chosen. Right. Uh, again, this is why I say this is such a manipulation and just they don't even need to call talk about harming someone. They don't even need to threaten someone just in itself being like being told you are special. So therefore, why would you complain? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're lucky. I'm giving you this attention. Right. Yeah. Um, We also wanted to look within the Black community um, during this time as the Black Lives Movement has been proceeding and has gained ground. There is also the much-needed conversations of who is supporting Black women and why it's so hard to have an open conversation when it comes to supporting and believing Black women. As we have previously discussed, Me Too was started by Tarana Burke, a black woman who sought out a community to bring accountability as well as healing for those who have been affected by sexual abuse, violence, and trauma, which many in the community continue to ask, why is it that when people say Black Lives Matter, why that sometimes seems to exclude black women's lives? Uh, One big conversation that has been happening is the rape and murder of 19-year-old activist Toen Salau. Not only has this brought about the attention of the needs of protecting young women, but also the issue of the predatory behavior and victimization towards homeless youth, which she at that time had been saying that she was homeless. Um, She even tweeted during this time as she was being an activist in Tallahassee, Florida, speaking loudly and, and powerfully for the fact that she wanted to protect black men, she was a victim of rape and murder. And we saw it played out in in her Twitter. She actually tweeted out uh, that she had been sexually accosted and and abused even before all of this went down. So it's just kind of one of those heartbreaking moments of where is the protection for this young woman? What have we done? Well, how have we, you know, failed her? And I say we as a, as a whole. And the controversial multi-layered conversation with Me Too within communities of color are really lengthy and really long. And we definitely want to and need to address it as a whole episode or maybe even the series because we see all of these things unfolding like this tragedy. And again, the loss of many trans lives and specifically trans black women as recently as a couple of days ago. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's kind of downplayed in comparison to now, of course, it's an intersectional conversation within feminism, but also within black communities too. And how do we best address this? And how do we look at what's happening and find justice for each and every one of those victims? But if we look at examples like the CEO of OK Player and OK Africa, an indie music website, Abiola Oke, who has been accused of harassment and continued manipulation and gaslighting within his company, we can see that the Me Too continues to help in getting accountability, if not through the law, but through the organization and companies taking responsibility. The women who worked underneath him have come out and speaking truths and having the conversation out loud of how can we be given justice, A, and B, hold someone accountable who hold our livelihoods in their hands. And I will say Questlove, who was also part of that organization and a lot of the people from um, that company, quickly rectified the situation and did terminate him from the company. But it kind of is that, okay, this is hopeful, but it took all of this. It took all of these women having to out themselves 
and put themselves in the line of harassment in order to get Mm -hmm. any type of justice and any kind of accountability um, in the first place, which, again, does reiterate why the uh, hashtag MeToo is so important and this whole nature, even though it's not necessarily, it is and it isn't, the cancel culture, why that can be beneficial and why that might be the only form of justice that we see today. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that at the end because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. But something else I've been thinking about a lot lately, and so have a lot of people, it seems, is the Me Too movement within video gaming. And we will get into that, but first we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So let's talk about Me Too in the gaming industry. In our recent episode on women and online gaming during COVID, we touched on the online harassment a lot of female gamers and gamers of other marginalized groups face and how another piece of that whole thing lies in the often toxic environment on the development side. And it's not like this is a secret. Reports on rampant sexism at Riot Games, allegations made about a one-time top developer at Take-Two Interactive Software's incorporated Rockstar Games, those caused big stirs when the news broke, but the industry hasn't really faced the same large-scale Me Too scrutiny that Hollywood did, but... That could be changing. As of June 2020, dozens of women have made allegations of sexual misconduct against several prominent men in the gaming industry, including streamers. These allegations largely were made over social media, yes, a lot like um, Me Too allegations usually are. And as of recording, streamer Jessica Ritchie's list compiling all of the accusations she can find has 214 entries. Mm. Renowned video game writer Chris Avalon received four allegations, and in response, one developer ended their relationship with him, and he left another project that was in the middle of production. The incidents related by the women are similar. Some took place at conventions or events, and one woman attempting to get into the gaming industry received sexually explicit messages from Avalon. Gaming companies like Ubisoft Entertainment and Insomniac Games are also reportedly investigating claims of sexual misconduct. Reporters in the game industry are sharing stories of publications refusing to publish stories exposing valid accusations out of fear of the pending lawsuit or maybe not having the money that they know they'll need for the pending lawsuit. Twitch is facing its own reckoning. Amazon.com's Twitch is the largest video game streaming platform, and Twitch's whole thing is that it has democratized streaming. If you have the hardware, you can do it. A select few streamers amass huge followings, and some of these streamers are able to monetize. So there's an incentive to break in to the industry this way, but as the positions of power are held by men who do the gatekeeping, and there really isn't an HR to report to, Many women and other marginalized folks allege that they regularly ignore toxic behavior on the platform and allow it to continue, which are huge obstacles for finding success on this platform or even just enjoying it without being harassed. Enough so that some streamers were calling for a blackout Wednesday a few weeks ago as we record this. Hashtag Twitch blackout. Because of the blackout, Twitch permanently removed some users with allegations leveled against them. I think I just read that Twitch banned uh, Donald Trump 
Twitch did ban Twitch did ban Donald Trump. <laughs> I I'm curious as to if Donald Trump was on Twitch. Yeah, I was kind of surprised too. I was like, I don't understand. What was he on Twitch, or were people who are fans or mega guys that had their own platform dedicated to him? Is that what it was? I have no idea. I'm kind of curious. It was just sort of a like, see, we are taking <laughs> right. steps. Donald Trump's not allowed. I'm like, that, <laughs> okay. that seems kind of an odd ad too, but okay. Cool, 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 I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, one prominent case is Omid Darayanis, the chief executive officer of the Online Performers Group, a talent agency that represents many streamers, resigned after a woman accused him of unwanted sexual behavior, uh, as in asking her to be in a threesome with his wife. Interesting. Uh, Networking is hugely important to succeed in this industry, and many others detail streamers with popular channels and or sponsorship deals, specifically targeting aspiring streamers with sexually predatory behavior and or grooming young streamers. Blah. And one such person was Sam Ernie, a popular streamer who left the platform after multiple allegations, posting in part, quote, regardless of when any of what you see is said to have happened, I want you to believe the accusers. What is obvious is that this behavior has gone on throughout my career and I directly benefited sexually from it while the people on the receiving end were negatively impacted. Uh, And I have to say, this is an interesting thing I've noticed through a lot of the stories we talked about earlier and a lot of these Twitch stories is several of the people who are accused are like, I don't deny this behavior right, or the way you felt about it, but they still get a lawyer and like don't, I guess, admit that they did something that could get them in more trouble. I don't know. It's just interesting. It's sort of like a halfway right. <laughs> of like, yes, I acknowledge that I probably hurt your feelings. Right. And you, you read it in a way that I didn't read it. Is that uh, kind of that whole conversation we've had previously of is A, manipulative, but B, they don't want to see themselves in bad light. And so they talk themselves into this conversation. And yes, there is a lot to be said about perceptions and how one may have perceived the situation. But however, when you really, you have the moment to take a chance to listen to the different sides, you have to put in account the power play again, that we've talked about and why that dynamic is so dangerous in many ways. Right. Yeah. Um, So as part of all this, all these allegations that have come out, Twitch has promised to take further actions to combat hate and sexism on their platform, though they've been pretty vague about specifics. One thing they have said is they do not intend to vet streamers at this time. Employees on the inside say that prior to this public outcry, allegations were brought up and dismissed at internal all-hands meetings. The world of esports is undergoing its own wave of Me Too allegations, and some of this is directly related to these Twitch accusations, but that is another conversation that is happening as we speak, as we record. And so many women have reacted to this news, not in shock, but with, Yes, Uh my feelings are validated. I knew this was true. So many women have stories about how they've cut back drinking or stopped completely at events, at gaming events specifically, because they've been warned what could happen or it has happened to them before. Uh, So many women have plans of texting a friend after a set period of leaving an event after a set period of time. And so many women watch out for the new and youngest women at these events. And it's just... 
sometimes it blows my mind how much we do that just shows how unsafe we are Mm -hmm. and how not valued we are. And we just do it. It's just sort of like second nature. I think for you and I, we're like, yeah, of course, this is what you would do. This is exactly Exactly. what you do. Uh, This is how you keep Mm -hmm. yourself safe. And this is what is a rate. Like, even if it's a single, if it's a date, your first date, Mm -hmm. we have a whole plan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you share it with friends and it's just understood. Like, I could get murdered or raped. And that's the life, the world we live in. Right. I mean, even just taking lifts. I'm like, this is the picture of my driver, just in case I disappear. And this is what I'm supposed to know. I mean, it it is a common thing for women in general. So to see this, especially when it's an industry that's dominated by men. And I will say when I was in the, the law enforcement side, and even though I'm not law enforcement, we had a small portion of our my work that had to be under that as well, whether it was we talked about gang activity or whatever, I was very uh, very hyper aware of the fact that it was a very male-dominated field, and therefore I had to be even more so cautious. And you talked about that just in gaming and trying to be overly cautious to hide your gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's sort of, I think I was like 11 when I learned that lesson. Yeah. Um, which is wild and very sad. Uh, and, and for a lot of reasons, all of this that's happening right now is a big deal for the gaming industry. Half of gamers are women. I know we've said it before. I'll say it again because people still seem shocked by that. Half of all gamers are women. That that all dude thing, that, that perception people have is left over from companies specifically targeting their advertising to young boys with money. And a lot of popular games are hyper-masculinized, leading to perception that it's still a hyper-masculinized space that allows for rampant microaggressions that are just dismissed. Again, that's the way it is. Suck it up. If you want to be in this gaming world, we're kind enough to let you in. Then you're going to have to deal with it. Um, And even when it comes to things like incels, we're just, as women, expected to tolerate that. Um, But it... Again, it blows my mind up. People are like, yeah, just deal with it. But that's such a big deterrent. That turns away so many people. Right. I mean, we definitely had that episode of incels, and I had people worried about it, telling me not to do it. Oh, I was worried about yeah, it. <laughs> that we were going to be doxxed and all these things. And I was like, I don't, because I'm not in that world necessarily. I know it exists. But because I've never been mm-hmm. part of the gaming world, I've not seen it into that level and how territorial it really is. But yeah, it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that was one of the things I was like, well, I definitely don't want to be a part of it now. <laughs> Although I'm trying. Right? I'm trying. And that's the sad thing. Yeah. That's the sad it thing. It is. So gaming obviously is a big business, like $150 billion a year big. And obviously, you would think we should be striving for safe, welcoming environments. Um, and this is a part of a larger conversation about creating those spaces everywhere. But the world of gaming has been particularly resistant. It's also yet another case of the responsibility for change being placed on women and other marginalized communities sharing their painful stories with the threat of retribution and harassment to enact change. And quarantine has sparked several renewed waves of social activism. And I will say part of this is because of the Black Lives Movement. It has pushed forward with seeking justice and kind of how we talked about with women who organized that if it had not been for uh, black activists, this would not be at the forefront either. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I uh, 
just saw an article before we came in about uh, Me Too and professional wrestling with the hashtag speaking out and all that has come out of that. Um, so we could do a Me Too on pretty much every industry, sport, hobby. Uh, right. <laughs> there's no shortage of stuff to talk about here. And something that's been on my mind lately is I, I had sort of a hopeless day a couple of weeks ago. And I just thought, well, has Me Too accomplished anything? Like, what has it accomplished? And I, I tried to Google search, and there wasn't that much out there that was sort of an overview. There were more like, Me Too in 2017, what happened? Or Me Too in 2018. And so I've been thinking about it. I feel like the conversation, like you said, Samantha, some companies are taking steps. Right. Um, allowing other women to speak out if they want to, um, giving us a better scope of the numbers. I've definitely had a lot of male friends sort of have a reckoning, a realization of, oh, okay, I didn't realize it was this common. Right. Yep. I think it definitely has opened up to having the, okay, this is what you see, but this is what we see, the female-male perspective, and then just talking about why the conversations and our thought processes are different because that danger safe uh, mentality that we have to have at all times. And, and, and as we know, things have been happening, whether we don't necessarily see the overarching, this can be a historical context. We're going to look back in 20 years and be mm-hmm. like, this is what happened. But, you know, more news and more allegations are coming forward at this time. And it looks like Ron Jeremy, who is in the porn industry, has been charged officially with 25 different counts of sexual misconduct charges. And then Danny Masterson, who was a part of the hashtag MeToo call out, right. um, has actually been charged with three counts of rape. Of course, both pleaded uh, not guilty. We'll see what happens. Um, and we know that Harvey Weinstein is finally answering for some of his stuff. Not all of it, but some is better than none, I guess, unfortunately, is how we have to say it. And though it has been around in politics, it doesn't seem to be affecting those people as much. <laughs> I'm going to hold it like that. Uh, but at mm-hmm. the very least, we are talking about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. These are really important conversations to, to have. And I did want to include in here, there has been uh, this whole false accusations trend, which I probably don't have to describe to anybody, but it is what it sounds like where people are saying all, because there is this wave of accusations, it's a trend. Right. And people are just sort of like buying in and lying right. on the trend. And the, the amount of detective work some internet sleuths claim to have put in um, to proving that these are mostly women or young girls just trying to get a moment of fame. Um, and I, even before we came in here, I was watching a video about, I was looking for videos of Chris Avalon and the third result was like an hour long video about how terrible the state of things are that he is getting accused and had to leave this work and, So that's still a conversation to be had as well. Right. And I know uh, with the fact that when we were talking about the two celebrities, comedian and the actor, um, someone went out of their way to make similar false accusations to stars that were beloved, uh, I think Riverdale stars, just to prove a point and say, see how easy it was for me to make this story up, Um, trying to discredit other 
witnesses. But if and now that I was trying to research it myself, when I went to go and look at the tweets that were telling their stories, they've been deleted. These women have left the platform because they have been so continually harassed. Um, I, I, I am baffled by the amount of people who say they are just trying to seek attention because they <laughs> don't understand what type of attention is happening. And it's complete bullshit putting it out there that people think this is a way of someone getting famous because more often than not, their names get forgotten, but their incidents yeah. are con- like still in conversation. And that's problematic in itself. Yes. Yes. So that is another episode we could come back to, another conversation to be had. Um, in the meantime, we did have some listener mail we wanted to read. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. So we did want to include some listener mail because we have heard from listeners about this very thing that we're talking about when it comes to the gaming industry. Laura wrote, I started working in the game industry in 1997, I know a long time ago, and I am going to hope that is why I was treated so poorly, but I seriously doubt much has changed. During my time in the industry, I was ignored, dismissed, and belittled to the point that I eventually completely ceased to make suggestions and just did my job without ever again trying to enhance the state of game development at my company. To be fair, I was young as I had started working there at age 26, but a lot of my coworkers were also young albeit all men, and I do not think I was treated even remotely similarly to any of them. It did not help that I was for a long time the only woman in my division, and I was always the only one in my department. My boss fell, quote, in love with me and proceeded to tell me about it every night. For a while, he had me working a semi-second shift of noon to 8 p.m. in order to train under his guidance in the evenings, 5 to 8 p.m., Later, he moved me to a 10 a.m. start time, but still made it clear that he expected me to stay late each night. It was during these evening times that he would go on and on about how he never had sex with his wife anymore. Did I mention he was married with two daughters and other inappropriate things? He would tell me that he loved me. I tried to laugh it off. I told him to watch Oprah since she tackled topics such as spouses who no longer had sex on her show. Basically, I was scared and nervous and told him anything I could to keep him at bay. For a while, I dated another manager at the company who was my age and single. I didn't really like him, but he liked me, so I dated him to keep my manager at bay. It worked, but the relationship was awful. Eventually, I broke up with the guy because we fought constantly, and he kept trying to get me to marry him. After nine years, I went to HR. I didn't make a reporter even tell them my name. I simply asked what the process was for pursuing sexual harassment at the company. They kept trying to get me to make a report, but I refused. Then they laid me off. So yeah, that is the game industry. I know a lot of other companies wouldn't even hire young women because they weren't a good, quote, culture fit. In other words, guys couldn't be overtly gross around them. I thought that being super geeky would be enough to earn me some respect in that industry. It was not. I'd always hoped that computers would be the great equalizer, but sadly, tech is as toxic, if not more so, than other industries. I hope someday the industry will change and we will see that change reflected in our entertainment software. Until then, I would recommend a regular tech company job over the game industry any day. Oh, damn. She is an OG, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was awful. So, Louise wrote, I'm a big fan of the show. 
I've been listening for a few years now, and I just listened to your online gaming episode and thought I'd reach out. I'm a woman working in the UK game industry as a producer. I'm currently working at Rare on Sea of Thieves. Part of what attracted me to this job is Rare's commitment to diversity and inclusion. I was a player of Sea of Thieves before I joined the team, and it's one of the few online games in which I haven't experienced harassment. I do have to be a bit vague here because the industry is small, but at previous companies I've experienced microaggression and pushback when I've tried to explain why things are problematic. I think this lack of female and black and indigenous people of color, LGBTQ plus perspective being accepted and taken on board definitely informs why games are made in a way that marginalizes these groups and supports straight white men as a default audience, fueling gatekeeping. I do think the industry is getting a lot better, though. There's much more push for diversity and inclusion because audiences are tired of the outdated attitudes nice. And in terms of being harassed in games, one of my friends has an amazing technique for dealing with trolls. He asks them if they're okay and if they want to talk about anything. It totally calms them down and normally there's something upsetting them, which is true. And their default reaction is to lash out. Now, obviously it should never be the duty of victims of harassment to comfort the harassers, but I think there's a much bigger conversation to have about why there are so many angry men out there who don't have adequate emotional support or healthy outlets for their anger. I don't think this is something video game companies alone can solve either, but I think we need to start looking at it as a systemic problem rather than looking at singular incidents and blaming the individual harassers for being bad. Now, I'm not condoning their actions in any way, and individuals are responsible, but I don't think this happens in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it just points to so many other systemic problems we have we have to tackle. Right. Um, and that response to the troll, that reminds me, Ben Bolin, we used to have a company policy that, thank God, it is not around anymore, but you had to respond to every YouTube comment. Oh, my God, it was awful. It's just as bad as you can imagine yeah. and worse. Um, and Ben Bolin, who does, he's on a lot of our other podcasts on our network. Um, he, when he would respond to a troll, he would say, I hope you have a better day. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciated. I thought that was solid. I always like to do it, like, I had to do it for a while, and I would just give the, like, sweetest, as though I had misinterpreted everything they said. Like, oh, wow, look at that typo. Let me correct that for you. (laughs) (laughs) Usually they didn't respond once they realized, oh, a real person is actually here and reading these. Right. Yeah. Um, But we did want to end with a listener mail to show that it's not all bad. Uh, Hannah wrote, Thanks for this week's episode on women in online gaming during COVID-19. I, like so many others, have spent lots of time with Animal Crossing during quarantine. Since Annie likes island packs, my island is named Goobles, <laughs> the same town name I've been using since Animal Crossing was released on GameCube. And I have all female residents on my island, except for two male cats, because cats are welcome in my feminist utopia. <laughs> Also, my tip for avoiding Animal Crossing anxiety, don't look on social media at other people's islands. I know that if I went out and looked at all the awesome islands people have created, that I would feel like mine is completely inferior. But I love my little island and its chill, underdeveloped vibes. You definitely should play. Just don't compare yourself to what others are doing or if you're doing it right. I guess that's pretty good life advice in general. Another way video games have helped me during the pandemic is that I started streaming my gameplay on Twitch. Not Animal Crossing, though. Goobles is only for me. (laughs) It's been a great opportunity for me to showcase the offbeat types of simulation and mystery games that I enjoy while staying in touch with some friends and family who come to join me in the chat. I've also found that streaming is a great way for me to combat my imposter syndrome. 
Since I'm just talking to a microphone by myself, I feel like I've been able to be more my real self rather than the buttoned up anxious version of me that's always seeking to please others. I know it sounds completely counterintuitive, but streaming has been therapeutic for me and it helps me feel less shy. My friends and family are getting to experience a more authentic, weird version of me than what I normally present. And hopefully I'll be more comfortable being my real self when we're all back to seeing each other face to face. I do worry that eventually I'll get trolls in my channel or viewers who will want to mansplain things to me, but it hasn't happened in the two months I've been streaming yet. I feel like I'll be confident enough to deal with it when, if it does happen, since I've really found my voice. Yay, video games. Yay, video games. Yay, see, that's the thing. That's a beautiful thing that we should be trying, striving to make for everyone. There I love go. it. I love it. And your Animal Crossing Island sounds amazing. Goobles. That's a good name. It's excellent. And please keep those uh, messages coming in. Keep sending us what's going on on your island. We love it. We love it. Uh, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 